Well, welcome back to the Palview Christian Church Sunday Sermon Podcast. My name is Trey Hinkle. I'm the senior pastor here at uh, Palview Christian Church in beautiful Central Oregon. I'm looking out my window, and there's still some snow up on the butte, some snow down on the ground, uh, although it's cleared up a lot. I'm praying that there's going to be some more snow, um, uh, because we just th- this is the high desert, and we need a lot of rain. We need a lot of precip- precipitation. Our reservoirs need to be filled. So it's great to see the snow on the mountains because that will mean that come spring and summer, we'll actually be able to have some more water. So that's good. Hey, we're um, we're back in Luke. Uh, we got back in Luke after the Advent season last week. But um, <clears throat> what I'm going to be doing is a sub-series within the, the Gospel of Luke, but also bringing in other passages of Scripture, obviously. Uh, and uh, it's going to be a series based on um, passages of, of the Bible that uh, give us wisdom about a certain area of our life that we don't like to talk about. Um, and uh, it's it's going to be a series, sub-series, entitled Money Matters. Now, I have a question. When you hear that title, Money Matters, how does that make you feel? Especially coming from a preacher, right? Now, what's going on in your gut when you hear that a preacher is going to be preaching a series about money matters. Do you get anxious? Do you get a little angry, defensive? Do you get uncomfortable? Um, Does it make you wish you had not tuned into the podcast? I I mean, uh, does it make you say, wow, what a day to listen to this podcast, right? Um, I recently ran across a book from an author named Dr. Maria Nemeth. The book is entitled The Energy of Money, and I I thought that was an intriguing concept because I had never thought of the idea of money having energy. I've never thought of money that way. So I I didn't read the book, but I perused the foundational concept, and there was this excerpt from the book that that caught my attention. Um, Dr. Nemeth writes, money is an uncomfortable subject for most of us. Many people would rather talk about their sex lives than about their bank balance. We love money and we hate it. We can't live with it and we can't live without it. Money can be a source of great joy and creativity or it can bring frustration and misery depending on our relationship with it. And we bring all these doubts and fears and hopes and expectations with us every time we deal with money, not just when we visit a financial planner or a loan officer, but in every area of our lives. She continues, money touches almost every aspect of living, work, leisure time, creative activities, home, family, and spiritual pursuits. Everything we do and dream of is affected by our relationship with this powerful form of energy. So whether your dream is to travel around the world, pay for a house, or establish a food bank, or buy a Corvette, or to get out from under a mountain of debt, or take a year off to write a novel, that vision is intertwined with the possibilities and pitfalls bound up in the energy of money. You know, back to uh, scripture, it's no wonder that Jesus says in Luke chapter 18 how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. Indeed, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. And and by the way, don't worry, we're going to unpack that verse in this series, what it means, what it doesn't mean. But, you know, Jesus is saying, yes, it's going to be difficult because sometimes the energy that we see in money is so strong. It's like a current that carries us down a path that we never wanted to go. Um, 
that energy can make us fearful. It can make us discontent with what we have, or it can make us secure and create an excitement in us as we participate in something that is beyond ourselves. There is an energy to money, and we must be aware of that as we proceed. Now, if you've been a part of a church for any considerable length of time, you have heard sermons on money. You've heard about the tithe. You've heard about bringing that to the storehouse. You've heard uh, from Malachi, the Old Testament prophet, about robbing God by not bringing in the tithe, by not being generous. Many of us have heard sermons geared to make us feel guilty, unfortunately, about, oh, we live in the richest nation in the history of the world. And, uh, well, I say, I didn't choose to be born here, so I, why are you trying to make me feel guilty about that? Well, you know, in comparison to what the world consists of, we are, we are so rich uh, every day. We uh, live in such a way that if the, the, the 95% of the world or whatever it is looks at us, they, they would see that we are just as rich as Bill Gates or Warren Buffett or George Soros. Now, I get it. Those sermons are trying to give us a different perspective, and it's not bad to put things into perspective because... The reality is um, we are the richest nation on the face of the earth in the history of the world, right? And we do have things that other people will never have. And yet we find ourselves, again, because of the energy of money that sweeps us away sometimes, we, are, we can't get a handle on it. If you struggle in the area of finances, it's probably because you've had the wrong perspective as you've grown up, as Mom and dad or your culture, advertisements on TV, friends, um, neighbors that are buying things and you need to catch up with them. You have developed a, a warped perspective because uh, God has actually given us his perspective. And that is the true perspective on how we should be approaching money matters. Um, and so because we have a warped perspective, we, we are going to talk a little bit about where we stand as Americans uh, in light of our income and, and why God would have blessed this nation in the way that he did. Not, not to make us feel guilty, but by showing us, opening up our eyes to what maybe he was intending for us to, to use our resources for. See, there's so much more uh, about money matters in the Bible than, than just giving the, the tithe. Or, or to being generous. So I'm going to briefly give us a, an overview about where we're going to be headed in the next few weeks that lead up to, by the way, our own Palby Christian Church's congregational meeting on January 29, where the membership of PBCC votes not just on the officers, uh, the elders and the deacons and the trustees and, and all that, but we will be talking and, and voting on our budget that has been poured over and prayed over and right now is being put into place by our present leadership. So even in a, a church setting where ministries and missions are supported, where you have physical structures, buildings that need electricity and heat and, and repairs and upgrades to meet you know, the ADA standards and all that, money does matter. And that's why the Bible says a lot of things about money. God cares how we view money, how we treat money, how we utilize the resources that he has given to us and granted to us to use and to manage in our lives. So our study in these next few weeks will be about the ABCs, I guess you could say. It'll be about our attitudes. 
It'll be about biblical principles. It will be about core practices, the ABCs of money matters that God calls us into. Is we live in his kingdom, not after we die, but while we are here on earth living in his kingdom. See, we're going to look at a godly perspective on resources, on finances, on money. We're going to look at the essential foundation that we must build our lives on in order to have a healthy view of our resources. And then we're even going to look at the necessary choices that God calls us to make in order to find health in this area of our lives. Now, here's a caveat. Um, You will hear me uh, not pulling any punches in this series, and that's fine because I get excited about this topic. You see, I used to live in fear of the what-if issues in life. Like, what if I do what God wants me to do? What if I do give up a portion of my income? What if I do live as generously as God wants me to do? Will I still be taken care of? Will I still get to do the fun stuff in life? Will I still have what I need? You know, I I used to toe the line thinking that God was concerned about what I gave. And so I I faithfully gave my tithe, my 10%. That's, by the way, what the word tithe means. You can't tithe 2% or tithe 20% because tithe means one-tenth. It's 10%, right? And I was doing that very faithfully. I learned to protect that portion of my income to be given back to God. I was faithful in giving that back to God. But then I was confronted with the idea that ultimately I was still living a financially unhealthy life because I was neglecting to honor God with the other 90%. You see, what I discovered was that God was not just concerned about the 10%. He was actually concerned about the 100% that I actually honored him with my full financial picture. And I was making some pretty short-sighted and dumb, those are my words, dumb decisions in life with the other 90% that I then had to confront and, and change so that I might become more in alignment with what God has to say. And what I discovered then is that God was faithful to me. And I found that being a blessing to other people brought a joy to my life that had not been there before when I was just strictly keeping to the 10%. I get excited because by changing my perspective, I have experienced a kind of freedom that God designed us, I believe, to live in. He's always wanted his people to live in a freedom from the yoke, the, the slavery of debt, for example, or discontentment. And so then I get excited because I teach what the full counsel of God is in Scripture. I don't pull any punches regarding money matters. Why? Because I've seen too often, I've seen real stories that are played out about real people who are finally finding freedom from all of those things that actually pull us away from a trust relationship with God. And they, they make bad choices and they finally are able to break free from all of that. So let me ask you, wouldn't it be an exciting thing for you to know that God gave you a roadmap to get out of bondage, to find freedom? It would probably excite you if you were to be made aware of the fact that you're not free right now. So how can you tell if you need to be freed? Because if if you don't know that you need to be freed, then you're not going to get excited about hearing these things from Scripture. Well, I, I found a list. If you spend more If you spend more than you make in a year, then you need to be freed. If you don't know 
whether you're not whether or not you're spending more in a year than you make then you need to be freed if you don't care that you might be spending more <laughs> than you make in a year then you need to be freed but not only that how about these if you owe more on your car than what your car is worth then you need to be freed if you're just paying the minimum on your credit cards and that's your way of living then you need to be freed if money is one of the biggest stressors and cause of fighting in your marriage, you need to be freed. If you have no plan for saving for your future, then you need to be freed. And if you've ever thought about how nice it would be to live generously, to, to meet people's needs as you are made aware of them, to be a regular contributor to the work of God and his kingdom in the local church or in missions, but you decided that you could not be generous because of the state of your bank account, well, then you need to be freed. There's a story that my dad tells. Um, it's similar to a story that is played out in a comedy, a fictional movie, but this was a real account. My dad would take uh, young people from the college that he uh, was a professor at, uh, cross country from California into Missouri, to Joplin, Missouri, uh, for a youth leaders conference every year. And they would drive out because that was the cheapest way of going back in the 70s and early 80s. And dad tells the story of, you know, as they were driving and they were changing out drivers each time. And they, they'd, they'd just barrel through. They wouldn't stop at any motel. They would just go through until they hit Joplin. That was the cheapest way of going. As they did that, uh, he stopped off at a gas station late one night and uh, they switched drivers. And unfortunately, he then went to sleep only to wake up to find that the new driver had gone, um, I don't know how many miles, scores, hundreds of miles in the wrong direction. And so that they had to make up for that lost time. So what, what does that have to do with this? There's an old proverb that says, no matter how far you've gone down the wrong road, turn back, right? And so they discovered that they were going the wrong way. Well, it would not have mattered if they had figured out that they were going the wrong way, if they didn't make the choice to turn back. So it was important for them to know that they were going the wrong way, number one. But number two, it would not have served them well just to know that they were going in the wrong way. They needed to stop and make a change in the course of their direction. So the series that we're going to be going through isn't just trying to point out that many of us head down the wrong way and that we need to realize that, but that we need to stop. We need to take steps that will help us turn the car around and head the right way. So in Luke 18, and uh, this is uh, kind of where we're going to be planting ourselves in Luke, in Luke 18 and 19, but we're also going to be going to 1 Timothy chapter 6, which is one of the most powerful and um, enlightening passages of Scripture when it comes to talking about our relationship with resources and finances. But in Luke 18, we're, we're going to read a story about a man who had been headed in the wrong direction. And he was not willing to make the adjustments. He just kept going down the wrong road. And he would presumably never make it to Joplin, Missouri. His story was much more about his attitude than his financial situation. Because here, here's the deal. He was rich. And rich people have just as much struggle with this as poor people do. Okay? Yeah, we, we think that it's only poor people who struggle with wishing that they had more and thinking that more will fix everything. Now, you talk to people who make millions of dollars and they still struggle with anxiety and 
and fear of not having enough. And they struggle a lot of times with, with money as well. So let, let me read to you these uh, verses uh, in chapter 18 of, of Luke, uh, verses 18 through 20, uh, 23, I think. A ruler asked Jesus, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? <clears throat> no one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother. And the man said, all of these I have kept from my youth. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, one thing you still lack. Sell all that you have and distribute it to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And then come, follow me. But when the man heard these things, he became very sad, for he was extremely rich. Now, it's here that Jesus tells us how difficult it is for those who love their possessions more than their devotion for the Lord. This is where we get that humorous illustration about a camel trying to fit into the eye of a needle, how hard it is for rich people to get in. Now, the disciples pick up on this ridiculous scenario, by the way, after Jesus said this. They said, well, then who can be saved? Because they, in their misunderstanding, they thought, well, at least the rich, they can kind of buy their way into the, the kingdom, right? Well, no, Jesus says, no, you can't buy your way in. It's impossible to do it on your own. But he says, but, but, yes, it's very difficult for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of heaven, but what's impossible for man, even that is absolutely within God's power to accomplish. So when we begin to follow God, trust him, uh, let him lead us and make the decisions that he, as our Lord, has given to us, that's how even rich people can enter into the kingdom of heaven. And that's the first thing to note about this passage. But the second thing is that, that I personally see is that Jesus isn't talking necessarily about heaven when he's talking about the kingdom of God. Okay. A lot of times we think, well, uh, what Jesus is saying is, is it's hard for you to go to heaven if you're rich. Mm. See, now, what I have studied and what I have discovered is that... Um, I think Jesus often, when he's talking about the kingdom of God, is not referring to then and there, after we die, but the here and now. Uh, Jesus would come in and say, hey, listen, you need to repent because the kingdom of heaven is right now. It's here among you. Uh, back in Luke chapter 17, once having been asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come. By the way, that's the same terminology as in Luke 18. They wanted to know when the kingdom of God would come. Jesus replied there in verse uh, 20 and 21 of Luke 17, the kingdom of God does not come visibly, nor will people say here it is or there it is. Why? Because the kingdom of God is within you. So I believe here in Luke 18, when he's talking about how hard it is for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God, that he may not be talking about heaven as much as he's talking about actually living the life that God calls his disciples to live in this upside-down kingdom, right here on this earth right now. To change our mindset, that's what repent means, and to actually live differently. It's very hard for rich people to do that. I would also say, though, that it's very hard for poor people to do that in our country, because, again, in comparison to the world's population, even the poor people in our country are very well off. And they, they fear losing their stuff. So it's very hard for them to live the way that God wants them to because it's a matter of giving up their control and trusting an outside force. So with that understanding, 
it is easy to see how we allow our emotions, our wrong thinking to actually keep us living as citizens of the kingdom of God, true citizens of the kingdom of God. That's very clear from scripture, from what Jesus taught and modeled, that we should be just as concerned about how we're living right here and now in the kingdom of God as we are concerned about what's going to happen to our souls after we die. The kingdom of God must be about living differently, thinking differently right now about our material stuff that God has entrusted with us uh, to us here on earth. But that's hard. It's hard to do because there's such a strong pull that money has on our life. And just because you're a Christian doesn't mean that you're immune to that pull. Uh, now let's go real quick to the next chapter of Luke, uh, Luke chapter 19. Um, because there in Luke 19, uh, we're going to uh, uh, see how the religious leaders had a problem with this. If you look at verses 45 and 46, as Jesus entered the temple and began to drive out those who sold, and Jesus entered the temple, began to drive out those who sold, saying to them, it is written, my house shall be a house of prayer, but you've made it a den of robbers. I don't know if you understand the situation, what's going on there in the temple, but they had created a racket where they would be overcharging people to bring in uh, sacrifices to make to God to, to uh, atone for their sins. Here are religious people in a religious setting involved in religious rituals, and they have turned what should have been a place of worship into a place where they were making money off of people who were coming to be made right with God. No wonder, no wonder people hate whenever the subject of money comes up in church. It's not a them issue. It's also a church issue because throughout history, the church has had problems being good stewards with what has come in. They have, they have wasted it on themselves. They have not at times used it for what uh, the intention was given so we have to be honest about that. It's not just a, a them issue. It's an us issue as well. Jesus says money matters. Your attitude about money matters. Otherwise, you're going to turn his house into a house of robbers rather than a house of worship. So as we begin this series, uh, I, I just kind of want to wrap up today by guiding us through a few things that God has given to us in his word as a foundational truth. Number one, what we read of in scripture is that money is not the answer. And I put the answer in quotes, okay? Yeah, I know. That's not what you hear in the media. It's not what you hear from the government because we hear from all walks of life in our government, in the media, that money is the answer. We just need to throw more money at a, at a subject, at a problem, and that it'll get fixed then. Or we're told these lies uh, as we give, um, if, if we give to these companies, to the late night infomercial companies, then your life is going to be better. Your marriage is going to be better. Your kids are going to be happier. I hate the commercials that tell me that I deserve something. I deserve that truck. I deserve that house. I deserve that steak, whatever. It's like, you don't know me. How do you know that I deserved whatever that is? Now I brought this up before. It's the difference between capitalism, which just provides for what people need if they truly need it, and commercialism, where commercialism uses the idea of we have to create in people a discontent so that they will then spend their money on things that 
I want to sell to them. Things that they don't really need, but they've been tempted to think that they do need them because I've created a discontent in them. You know, in 1 Timothy chapter 6, again, I would highly recommend you during these four weeks be in 1 Timothy chapter 6 in your devotional life because it's got some amazing things to say about our resources. 1 Timothy 6, 17, the first part of verse 17 says, command those who are rich in this present world. And again, that's us, all Americans, because we are rich compared to the rest of the world. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God. Now, notice that Paul does not say, command those who are rich in this present world to get rid of it all. When Jesus tells the rich young ruler to get rid of it all, that's the only person that he's ever told, that, that is recorded, to sell everything and give it away. Paul's not saying, command those who are rich in this present world not to be rich anymore. He just says, I don't want them to be arrogant or to put their hope in their resources. Because our wealth, our resources, our money, our finances are so uncertain. But to put their hope in God. See, that's why money's not the answer. It can't be the answer because it is so uncertain. If you're looking for an answer to a test, you cannot find an answer that sometimes might be right, sometimes might be wrong. You got to find what the real answer is. Money uh, or the trust in money can lead to arrogance because it promises a false hope that you've got it made when you really aren't sure that you really do have it made. If that is your God. It's not going to be the best God to have because it's not the answer. It's uncertain. Number two, we find out from scripture that everything that we have has been given to us by God. There's nothing that we have that wasn't given to us. We came into this world with nothing. We leave this world with nothing, right? Psalm 24, one, famous, famous verse, the earth is the Lord's. The earth is the Lord's. And by the way, everything in it is the Lord's. The world is the Lord's and all who live in it are the Lord's, right? Everything is God's and he gives it to us as his management team, if you will. Now, next week, we're going to look at the parable of the minus that is found there in Luke 19, because in that parable, there's a different perspective on who owns it all and uh, a change in our understanding of our role. Uh, we go from owner to manager when we understand what the reality is. See, we've been deceived into thinking that what we have really is ours. We earn that money to buy what we have, so it's ours, and we can do with it whatever we want. Now, the psalmist, though, says everything that we have. Everything we have is ultimately God's. Now, we manage it, but if it's on the earth, it's his. Now, so God does give us resources. And this might be surprising to you because he gives us resources for many things. And like I said, you might be surprised at some of the intent that God has for the resources that he gives to us. For example, God gives us resources with the intention of allowing us to enjoy what he has given to us. To enjoy. First Timothy 6, 17, the, the last part of that verse says, but to put their hope in God who, here's God, who is richly provides us with everything for our what? Enjoyment. Who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. He doesn't skimp and he doesn't say, I don't want you to have fun. I don't, you, I don't want you to enjoy yourself in this life. No, he gives us things that would be for our enjoyment. 
but there's also an intent to provide for what our family needs. There's a couple of uh, verses in 1 Timothy chapter 5, just one uh, chapter before 6, where Timothy, where Paul tells Timothy, anyone who does not provide for their relatives, and especially for their own household, has denied the faith, and is worse than an unbeliever. That's 1 Timothy 5.8. In that same chapter, in verse 16, he says, if any woman who is a believer has widows in her care, she should continue to help those widows and not let the church be burdened with them so that the church can help those widows who really are in need. God had a system by which the widows were taken care of by their families. And those widows that did not have families, that were, those were the ones that the church then would bring in and, and take care of. But only if there wasn't a family to provide for them. The family came first. And then the, the last part of that verse shows us that God intends us for us to share the resources that he provides. Uh, we see elsewhere, like First Timothy 6, 18, command the rich in this present world to do good, to be rich in good deeds, to be generous, to be willing to share. And then in Ecclesiastes chapter 11, cast your bread upon waters and you'll find it after many days. Give a portion, give a portion to seven or even to eight, for you do not know what disaster may happen on earth. The wisdom of Solomon there tells us that, you know what, it's good to uh, take care of each other because one day you may need somebody to take care of you. And if you've been stingy, then it's going to be hard for people to actually feel good about helping you out. So God does provide. God does provide for needs, but he typically uses people to help provide for people. Not everybody gets that Elijah Raven DoorDash service that we read of in, in the Old Testament. So, number one, money's not the answer. Number two, there's a reason that God gives us money. And third, here's a warning. The love of money can lead to disaster. The love of money. Putting it as a higher priority in our life than God can lead to disaster. So you go back to the rich young ruler in Luke chapter 18. Jesus saw his heart. And again, it was only in this instance, in, in speaking with this ruler, that there is a, any record of Jesus telling somebody to give it all away. Now, right after that, it is true that Peter reminds Jesus that the disciples have all made sacrifices for the kingdom. And do you know how Jesus responds to Peter? He says, yes, you have. You have made sacrifices for the kingdom, and God's going to take care of you, so you don't need to worry. Same thing that we read of in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 6. But Jesus doesn't make this requirement of selling everything and giving it to the poor in order to follow him. He doesn't make this requirement of... of uh, Sorry, he doesn't just make this requirement uh, to this man to sell everything and give to the poor. He makes all sorts of requirements to people, depending on the person. To one man, Jesus said, you must not put off following me uh, so that you can wait till your dad dies and get your part of the inheritance. If you're going to follow me, you need to follow me now. And, and that was, that sounds kind of rough, but that was a requirement. Follow me now. Don't wait. To another person, Jesus said, you know, if you follow me, you got to know that there's no guaranteed secure place that you're going to rest your head each night. We're going to rely on the provision of God on a daily basis. And, and that was rough, you know. There are requirements, but each requirement seems to match the heart of the person who is, is talking to Jesus. See, this, this rich young ruler was not the only one to walk away from that call. Because Jesus pierces to the heart, and for some people, they're not ready for that. So, and, and we know it's a heart issue here, 
um, not a not a not a surplus, not a it, it has nothing to do with what he has. It's the condition of his heart. We know this because Jesus had asked the man about keeping the commandments. But interestingly, Jesus only delineates the fifth commandment through the ninth commandment. Okay, He doesn't list all ten. So the fifth through the ninth commandment, the man said, yeah, I'm good. I, I feel safe about that. I've, I've done all of those things. I've kept all of those commandments. But what Jesus left out was the amongst some of the others, the first and second commandment to both love God and then to not have any gods that come before their devotion to him. See, that's the warning of the love of money. Again, the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus tells us that it is impossible to serve both God and money. Impossible. So it's important that we keep our devotion and trust not in money, but in the most powerful and caring God. See, Money doesn't care about you, and it's not very powerful. It's only God, our Heavenly Father, that we can trust. You see, money will buy a bed, but it will never buy sleep. It'll buy books, but not brains. It'll buy food, but not an appetite. It'll buy a house, but not a home. It will buy medicine, but not health. It will buy amusement, but not joy. It will buy allies, but not true friends. It'll buy therapy, but not healing. It'll buy sex, but not intimacy. It will buy information, but not character. It will buy con content, but not contentment. You see, it's a dangerous thing to place such a high priority on devotion and love of money, because it doesn't care about you, and it's not on your side. Now, hopefully you're seeing that this series, what the series isn't about. You should never, it should never be about making you feel guilty. Now, if the Holy Spirit brings conviction into your life, that's good. But I'm not here to make you feel guilty. I'm not trying to manipulate you to, to feeling a certain way so that you'll start giving more. No. But it is designed to wake you up and to allow the Holy Spirit to maybe pierce into your heart <laughs> and to convict you. See, God cares about your spirit. He cares about leading you out of anxiety. He cares about you having what you need, yes. And he cares about your connection and your benevolence to your fellow man. He cares about who you have served based on your choices. He wants you to serve him rather than your material wealth. And so he gives us his word, and we find in that word his wisdom on how we must view about what he has given to us uh, to manage. We must gain a different perspective. And, and not only so... But if you've declared Jesus as Savior and Lord, God has given you his spirit to live within you, to help you, to guide you, and to teach you. So it's not unattainable. It's through his power. With God, nothing is impossible. So he has given us the power through the spirit to overcome temptations that we face when it comes to honoring him or to not honor him. The temptations of, of honoring wealth and, and going into debt and to not be content with what we have. See, we, we need to honor him, not just, again, with a 10% time, but with everything that we have, everything we are. Jesus came to take away your sins. Jesus came to take away your shortcomings and your guilt, even in this area of life, this finances. And then the Spirit has come to produce in you the things that matter most. So you see, Paul ends his thoughts about riches there in 1 Timothy 6 with this amazing verse, one of my favorites. 1 Timothy 6.19 says, in this way, which is, he's talking about being rich in good deeds. In this way, they, he's talking about those who are rich in this present world, 
In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is, are you ready for this? May take hold of the life that is truly life. That's why I get excited about these things because I want people to experience true life. So money does matter. And the exciting part is that we can choose to have it matter for all eternity. And in discovering those choices then that God calls us to make and then acting on them, God promises that uh, that will actually lead us to understand what life was truly supposed to be about. All right, a little bit longer sermon just because it was an overview. And I hope that this whets your appetite and you'll say, you know what, maybe, maybe I do want to listen to some more of these um, practical sermons from Scripture. And again, we're, we're going to be staying in the book of Luke. We're just going to be kind of dancing around a little bit to, to make our point of, of what God wants us to see. So bless you for uh, being a part of this podcast. I, I want to thank my team, Lisa Welly uh, and uh, Steve Pittman, uh, for helping get these things out. Um, Lisa is, I'm indebted to her every week because I just give her the recording and she puts it out there on the podcast platforms. And, and if anything goes wrong with our tech stuff, there's Steve ready to come in at a moment's notice and help us. So I want to thank them. I want to thank God for the opportunity to reach out to you guys. And I want to thank you for the opportunity uh, to be able to speak into your life, to have you join us each week. May God bless you this week, and we'll talk with you next week.